Don't mind telling you I'm a little out of my comfort zone. But I figure the time I get through the first 12 or 14 pages here, it'll get a little better. <laughs> I really wanted to tell that to Mike, and Mike's not here today. They had to go to a funeral. <laughs> but uh, anyway, and I also am challenged. I tried to write this out big enough where I could read it without my glasses. We'll see how that works. And Tim, you've already cut into my time a little bit. The disclaimer first. Tim said something to me weeks ago about this. It, it was kind of, uh, he said, um, we, there's some scripture coming up that uh, can be about uh, employees and employers and it's, it's slaves and masters. And he said, he said, I think you'd be a good guy to talk on that. I think the church family would like to hear you talk on that. And I said, well, let me think about it. Well, this time went on, time went on, time went on. I eventually, I thought about it a lot. And I thought that shouldn't be that hard. That ought to be pretty easy, actually. I got suckered on this, actually, didn't I? Because... <sighs> This is tough. This is really tough. The, the situation in our world today makes it even tougher, but, but uh, I guess the moral to the story is when somebody asks you something like that, go ahead and read it right then and there. Do a little studying for you. Let's sign up for it. <laughs> but, the one thing I can promise is an early lunch. How's that? We're all up for that. Think of this not so much as a sermon. In fact, not at all as a sermon. I'm calling it a book report. Kind of elementary book report. Sarah, Julie, do you still do book reports in elementary school? Kind of, sort of. Maybe, maybe even a little older than your kids, fifth, sixth grade. Yeah, this is... This is kind of a fifth or sixth grade book report, and I'll, I'll tell you a little more about that later. Ephesians 6, verse 5 to 9. Slaves, bondservants, masters. I did a little bit of background on that because I'm really kind of a history guy, but in Paul's day, maybe a third of the people he were talking to were enslaved people, a third of them. That'd be like everybody from here on over. Um, in a city like Ephesus, maybe a third of the people were slaves. They were an important part of the culture and society, important part of different families' lives. Um, it, was just, it was just a fact of the culture of the time. Um, the Bible certainly does not condone slavery. I want to make that clear. God doesn't say slavery's a good thing. But it was common throughout history, as told right here in the pages, it was common. If you, if you won a big war, all the people you didn't kill, you took as slaves. If you were the losers of a war, 
and you weren't killed, you became a slave. That's kind of the dirty dog principle of the way history worked. And a big part of the, the, the building and the, and the, the success of strong peoples came on the backs of slaves from their victories and their wars. Whatever their needs were, they took slaves to do it. God's own people were enslaved multiple times. Most notably, Egypt, right? 430 years in Egypt. God's people enslaved for 430 years in Egypt. Also, we're pretty uh, aware of the Babylonian captivity. Another time when God's people were carried away after Jerusalem was totally destroyed, the Babylonians took the survivors to their home country and made slaves out of them. The Lord spoke to the exiles in Babylon through Jeremiah on how to live and act while there. Let me read that again. The Lord spoke to the exiles through Jeremiah on how to live and act as slaves as conquered people, as servants to the enemy that conquered them. I want to read part of that. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 4 to 7. You don't have to look it up. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent. Welfare, welfare is better described as peace. It's the, the word shalom, which is peace. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. You will find your welfare. Live in peace as servants is what God's telling them. It, it, you, you, need to, you need to read that for yourself. There's a few things God doesn't tell them. He doesn't tell them to worship their gods. He doesn't tell them to forget about the true God. He doesn't tell them to intermingle and become the same people with them. He tells them to, to live and sustain themselves and live in peace in the situation that I've allowed you to be put into. There's some really good examples of that. There's some really good examples of, um, of that from the, from the Babylonian captivity, um, Daniel. Read some stories about Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Pretty real good example of doing what God told him to do. The three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the fiery furnace. Those kind of stories. Those kids' stories. Go back and read them in light of today's message about slavery. Okay, let me move on. How many slaves we got here today? I'm looking for hands. This is. I'm not going to ask how many people kind of feel like slaves. This. 
And I thought, that might be a good place to quit. We'll sing the song, go home. Real early lunch, just talking to slaves, right? Maybe not. So what's a possible application for us today? Let's talk about our work life and how we get things done. How about our relationships at work? Employees, employers. Employees to employees. Employers to their employees. How about the bosses to workers? Let's get it down there in language we can. Employee, employer, those are long words for me to say. Bosses and workers. How many in here have a job? I ought to get some hands on that. Lots of us, right? I got a job. I'm on 2021, I'm in my 48th year in the same job. Not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's the reality of it. How many like your job? I'll get just as many hands. Not quite as many, but some. How many love their job? We got one, two, four, maybe. Okay, I got something I want to read right off the internet. It's got to be true. It's titled, What Quitters Understand About the Job Market. And this is by a guy named Derek Thompson. Um, I, some of you guys that are podcasters might know that name. I don't know. But anyway, more Americans are telling their boss to shove it. Is the workplace undergoing a revolution or just a post-pandemic spasm? Quitting your job is hot this summer. More Americans quit in May than any other month on record going back to the beginning of the century. More Americans quit in May than any other month on record going back to the beginning of the century. Sounds like they're not liking their jobs too much. Or is there more to it? I, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, that's a fact. For every 100 workers in hotels, restaurants, bars, and retailers, five of them quit last month. Low-wage workers aren't the only ones eyeing the door. In May, more than 700,000 workers in the Bureau's mostly white-collar category of professional business services left their jobs, 700,000. The highest monthly number ever. Across all sectors and occupations, four in 10 employees now say they've considered getting out of their current place of work. 40%, four out of 10 have thought about quitting their job. Why the sudden burst of quitting? One general theory is that we're living through fundamental shift in the relationship between employees and bosses that could have profound implications for the future of work. Up and down the income ladder, workers have new reasons to tell their boss to shove it. Lower wage workers who benefit from enhanced unemployment benefits throughout the pandemic may have returned to the job and realize they're not being paid enough. Now they're putting their foot down, forcing restaurants, clothing stores to fork over higher wages to keep people on staff. Meanwhile, white collar workers say they feel overworked, generally burned out after a grueling pandemic year. They're marching to the corner office with new demands. Recent survey found that nearly half of workers under 40 said they might leave their job unless their employer lets them continue to work from home at least part of the time. We must like that. 
I'm going to stop on that. There's a little bit more. I'll catch it later. We all agree. We all agree. Today's workplace is at the very least a troubled and challenging place. Watch one newscast, read one newspaper, and you will see more than you care about the strife in the workplace. It's ugly. It's scary. It's discouraging. Let's see what Paul and God say about what our work life should look like as followers of Christ. So Tim read the, the Ephesians scripture for us here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reread part of it here. Um, I'm going to start in verse 5. This is just about too far or too close. There's one sentence, at least in my Bible, there's one sentence to the worker, to the bondservant. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not only, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or is free. One sentence. There's also one sentence to the master or the boss. Masters, do the same to them. That's kind of like repeating the earlier sentence, isn't it? So it's a, but masters do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he is both your master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with them. One sentence apiece. And then it goes on. We're going to, we're probably going to spend quite a while talking about the armor of God, I'd say. One sentence apiece. For the whole concept of our work life. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? I was real encouraged when I got to that part. I wrote down my points. Your work is a service to God. We should treat each other as fellow servants of Christ. We all serve one master who will judge us all fairly. And then the implication from all this is we all should work hard, be sincere, work together, ultimately be rewarded by God. So the conclusion that we all, all we need is a good working relationship between Christian employees and employers. We have harmony in the workplace. Simple. Had it all figured out. Great news. We got less stress, less conflict. We make more widgets. We all get paid more money. The work is easier. The days are shorter. This is where I got stuck. This is where it really, I had, I really, I really did get kind of that far. And I thought I was just going to separate this out. And Paul tells us what God tells us on how to act as workers and bosses. And I know it's not a perfect world, but I thought it was going to be easier than this. What I thought was an easy message got complicated. The reality is our work life is likely not all with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if you're a two-man shop and one's the boss and one's the employee and you're both believers and go to church together on Sunday and everything, it might be the perfect world. You know, you can it, it, you hold each other accountable and everything could be great. Not many of us have situations like that. 
in our workplace is certainly influenced by our sinful world and the pressure it can bring every day. Whether it's a guy buying those widgets or whether it's a guy selling you the parts to put those widgets together or whether it's somebody that you have to hire to haul those widgets around. You're going to have to deal with the rest of the world. What's experience tell you about that? So the bottom line is, in Paul's two sentences of, of our instruction on how to act in the workplace, he doesn't promise us or guarantee us anything in the way of perfect results. All he tells us is what God tells us how to act. His intention remains the same as in the previous verses, what we've been talking about for weeks, a couple chapters back, reminding us to act like believers and how believers should act in our, in our relationships. And our work relationship is one of them. Just like he's already told us how to act in our husband-wife relationship, our parent-children relationship. Doing the will of God from our heart and treating others with loving kindness. It's the same, it's the same advice that we've been hearing about a different part of our day or a different part of our life. It's the same instruction. Make no mistake about it. Relationships are hard. You're talking to the king of relationship problems, guy. Believe it or not, I'm not always that easy to get along with. And somebody's laughing over here. Somebody else is kind of smiling in the back who knows it better than anybody else. In fact, I am difficult to get along with. It can be like a roller coaster. Most of my grandkids like me. It takes them a little while to warm up to me sometimes. But most of them like me. They might outgrow it. But the reality of it is, what I read here, the more we are in tune with the Lord, in tune, translated, the more we read our Bible, the more we pray, the more we fellowship with believers, the more we're in tune with the Lord, the better all our relationships can be. And that includes work. How, is, how interested is God in our work life? That's a simple question, obvious question. I mean, God blesses us with the job. We're able to provide financially for our family. We're able to provide financially for our church. You know, we're, it's, a, it's a blessing from God that, that we have that from him. So, but, but the reality of it is it goes way, way, way deeper than that. Do the math. I always like to throw a little math in. How many hours in a week? Tim's famous for this. 168, right? 724, 168. I sleep 56 a week. I don't know how many most people sleep, but I, I got to have my eight hours a night. Slim, Tim, Tim, Tim and Jake get about three apiece, I think. 
I'm not wired that way. I, I don't know what most people are, but I'm a 56 hour a week sleeper and I still catch a nap every now and then, don't I? So, so you got 112 hours of awake time. I don't know what most of us work, but if you, if you kind of factor in the hours of to and from and maybe work prep and a lot of times it's a work and lunch and things like that, you might work 45 hours a week. If you got a full-time job, just, just a number. That's 40% of your waking hours. 40% of your 112 waking hours. Now that, the good news is that leaves you 60%, 67 hours to do other stuff, have girlfriends, have boyfriends, be on the phone, do your texting, you know, be on the internet, do all that kind of stuff. It, it gives you all those other hours to, to do the things that you need to do. That includes the relationships with your spouses, relationships with your family, all the other, that includes your worship time. We were created by God to serve God. We were created by God to serve God. So I'm pretty certain that he wants, a, he wants us to serve it in that 40% time that we're spending at work too. He doesn't just want to say, well, he's at work. I got to mark him off for God's looking for somebody to do something. I got to mark him off because he's sleeping 56. He's working 45. So that I'll, I'll get a hold of him during those other hours. That ain't the way it works. Not the way it works at all. Um, I did a little bit more history here. The Bible's full of examples. You got to kind of get to the left side of your Bible, the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I love the history in it. There's so much we can learn from the Old Testament, but the Bible is full of examples. People who were already working when God came calling. I got two or three here. Exodus 3, Moses. He's watching his father-in-law's sheep, Jethro's father-in-law. God called him from a burning bush to lead the people from Egypt. He was already working when God called him. He'd been doing it for a while. He'd been there about 40 years, so he wasn't new at it. He was about, he was 80 years old. He told God, I'm a poor speaker. I can't talk very well. I need Aaron to help me and all that. Did anybody, we're also, in our Bible reading, we've been doing Exodus, Leviticus. Has anybody else thought about or found it just a little bit funny that Moses tried to get out of this by saying he was a poor speaker. And all throughout those years, the Exodus and Leviticus year, all God did was tell him things to tell the people. Lists and lists and lists and lists of things. All this instruction, very detailed instruction. He wasn't a poor speaker. He just needed the encouragement. Joshua, another guy. Moses' Moses's assistant, Joshua 1. Moses' assistant for 40 years. He was an assistant for 40 years in his job. He was promoted personally by God. Moses had already died. God came to Joshua to lead the people to the promised land. Gideon, Judges 6 and 7. He was threshing wheat in the wine press. 
That's all wrong, by the way. He was doing it because he was hiding it. The wine press is a place where they smash down grapes and the, and the grape juice runs out to make the wine. Threshing, you usually have it out in the open where the wind can blow it away. And he was beating his out inside there because he was hiding it because the enemy was going to take it away from him. He was scared. God called him, long story short, to defeat an unnumberable army. The Bible says they, they were as many as locusts. Translated cicadas. If you had a lot of cicadas, you know what we're talking about. They were as many as locusts. God called him to defeat this unnumberable army of Midnights, 300 men. Never fired a shot. God did the work. One more. David, watching the sheep. First Samuel 16, he was watching the sheep. These guys watching the sheep, I think, get a bad rap. Watching the sheep wasn't just watching the sheep like, like I always think counting the sheep like before you go to sleep. Sounds like you're just laid back with your feet up watching the sheep, right? Watching the sheep was hard work. Keeping the flocks was hard work. It was not for the thing. You had to protect them. You had to do probably about like watching grandkids. It ain't as easy as it sounds, right? Not as relaxing. Maybe there's a reason for that watching the sheep while his father jesse was showing off his seven brothers to samuel had them all lined up in their nice suits and had them all polished up looking good because god had sent samuel to pick out the next king to follow king saul the father had seven of his sons all lined up the handsomest the oldest whatever and Samuel says, this isn't, he's not here. You got another son? He said, yeah, I got that the little runt. He's out there watching the sheep. Send for him. And when David came, and there's a description of him. I mean, he was handsome. He was, that's who God picked. That's the one God picked. He was already working. And then, and then in Matthew, there's a lot of examples how Jesus picked the disciples right off the fishing boat, took Mac Matthew right from the tax collecting booth, right in the middle of right in the middle of taking somebody's tax money. Have you ever thought about this? These guys were all working; they all had jobs. The list goes on and on. Point is. God will use you and make things happen when you're at work with the right attitude and a heartfelt desire to serve him. God will use you and make things happen when you are at work with the right attitude, a heartfelt desire to serve him. The Lord wants to use us to do his will. And that 40% of our awake time each week is often a good time to do it. He wants to use you at work. How does he want to use you? Might be just a few words of encouragement to a coworker, customer, somebody seeking help for whatever reason. Somebody just, he sends through your path. It might be just talking to somebody. It might be somebody on the phone. It might be somebody with a crisis. 
I know commonly, Tim, you talk about people at work that are in a crisis and, and they share that with you. They share that with you because they, they seek your advice. They want your help. It's happened to me a few times. I, I never signed up for any of it. I, I, I had a guy many years ago. I think I was the first, first person he came to after he found out that his wife had just totally abandoned him and really was never coming back, never did. And, and he came to me, we were, we were doing something business-wise, but he came to me and he, he started telling me, he said, I got problems. I said, what's up? What's the problem? Not anticipating. Then he breaks down and starts crying. I mean, those kind of things happen. They're looking for, they're looking for help. They need to run into people that know the Lord and can help them. I'm not saying I did a great job at anything, but I just, I listened. The second conversation is better. The next day or two or whatever, I, I had another situation 10 or 15 years ago. A guy I barely knew, a business, business I think stopping in to see me at my business for what he was there for was his second stop of the day. His first stop had been at his doctor's office and his doctor told him he was dying. And I only got to talk to him two or three times and then he no longer came around. I, you know, ultimately he did die. Those things happen. Those, those people need somebody to talk to. God sends those people around. But maybe God's got something else for you. Maybe he's got a bigger plan for you. Maybe my, like Moses, Joshua, Gideon, David, the disciples that were fishing, Maybe he's got the job of a lifetime for you. Moses had the job of a lifetime, so Joshua. They weren't easy jobs. They were awful jobs. They were hard jobs. Moses led two million people out of uh, Egypt, stiff-necked, I think they're described as. They wouldn't listen to what he wanted to do. They, I mean, when they got to the promised land, God wouldn't let them in. Joshua, he was ready to go to the promised land. He was a spy. He said, let's go. We can take these people. It didn't work out. He spent 40 years as Moses' assistant wandering around because of other people's unbelief. These weren't easy jobs. These are tough jobs. All the time having to clean up the people's mess or the people's problems. The job of a lifetime is not guaranteed to be an easy job either. Certainly wasn't easy for Paul. All the times he was stoned or beat or thrown out of a place or shipwrecked, the list goes on. It's the job of a lifetime. Only the Lord knows his plans for us. Only God knows.
we got to be there. We got to have our heart right. We got to have our attitude right. But let me finish reading the rest of that Jeremiah that I read. He tells them how to behave as the slaves and the servants and everything. Let's pick it up at 29.10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, that's how long the captivity was. This is, this is Jeremiah telling them ahead of time how long it's going to last. I will visit you. I will fulfill you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places that I've driven you, declares the Lord. I'll bring you back. God knew his plans. Only God knows his plans for us. We were created to serve him. He has plans for us. It's a sixth grade book report. Every sixth grade book report, I remember them. We all hated them. You have to get in front of the class. The teacher wants, to, wants you to tell enough about the book so she knows that you read it. But everybody does exactly the same thing. You give some details of pirates are looking for the treasure or whatever, and they get to the island and they find the X on the ground or whatever. And then every, every sixth grade kid says the same thing. You want to know more, you got to read the book, right? That's the way they do it. You want to know more, you got to read the book. You want to know about God's plans for your life? Let's answer. Read the book. Read the book. Know what his word says. Even this guy here. One other thing he said. Making predictions is hard. Talking about the why people are quitting and everything's going on in the labor market again. Same guy. Not only because the future is hard to see, but also because the present is hard to grasp. The future is hard to see, and the present is hard to grasp. Sandy's got a plaque at home on the shelf. Old people have plaques in their TV commercial about that, where you're becoming your parents if you got plaques hanging on the walls. I like this one. I don't want to take this one down. Don't worry about tomorrow. God's already there. Don't worry about tomorrow. God is already there. We all go back to work tomorrow. It's Monday. Most of us. Tim already said he doesn't want to relive last week. Wasn't that great for me either. What can we take to work tomorrow? Might help make it a better week. May not be any better. But maybe we can handle it better. Work's tough. Work life's tough. God doesn't plan on it to be easy. Our work life is just another part of our life that God gives us to serve him. We'll get a real easy job one of these days. 
fulfilling, I read something that's a real fulfilling job that we really love. So we maybe don't even have to work as hard at, I don't know. So here's my question. Do you work your job or does your job work you? What's your attitude about work? Mine's horrible sometimes. Then I bring it home and it gets uglier. I'll admit it. I'm not proud of it. Do you know who holds tomorrow? Do you know who holds tomorrow? If you read the book, you can know who holds tomorrow. I encourage you, if you're here today and you don't know who holds tomorrow, make that decision for your home. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day with our brothers and sisters. We thank you for this time that we can worship you. We can honor you. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for all the history and all the stories and all the lessons we can learn. Lord, help us to feel a real desire to read the book. And Lord, as we start another week, Lord, help us to take a renewed, better attitude toward whatever we have to do, whatever, whatever we have to spend our time doing, whether it's work, whether it's whatever. Help us to take a new and better attitude to the time that you've given us to serve you. We're so grateful for all things, and we not forget to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.